Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us, and we humble ourselves and acknowledge you as the giver of all good gifts. We want to thank you for what we've received from your hand this week, and in particular today. Lord, we enjoy so much in this country for which we can be thankful, and we just pause and acknowledge you as the giver. And we thank you for your presence, Lord Jesus, this evening, and we look to you to be the teacher right now and apply your word to our hearts. We pray this in your name. Amen. I'd like to look at the gardener, or as he is called, the, the, wine, the vine dresser, in John 15, and I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. John 15 and verses 1 and 2. These verses, of course, will be familiar to us. We've read them several times this week already. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. The vine dresser or the gardener has one aim, and he wants to make sure that the relationship between the branch and the vine is a fruitful one. His aim is harvest. And he will oversee that growth and he will oversee that relationship to make sure that the branch's relationship with the vine is such that the vine can produce fruit through the branch. That's his goal. And praise God, we have a heavenly father who watches over our relationship with his son. And he is very faithful if we are willing to oversee and correct us when it's needed. And that's good because the human heart is naturally self-deceptive. I am not a good judge of my own character. And I need somebody from the outside to evaluate my relationship with the Lord Jesus at a level which nobody else can. And our Heavenly Father does that. Now he says in chapter 15 and verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit he prunes it. First, he says, every branch, that does not every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, some take this to mean that this is referring to a Christian who is losing his salvation. Uh, some others think that it's speaking about an apostate believer who isn't abiding in Christ. Uh, some take it to mean that this is referring to the premature death of a believer because they are not living as the Lord would have them. Similar to Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, or yes, Acts chapter 5, or uh, the, the man who is referred to in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 who is having sexual relations with his mother, probably his stepmother, but that's what's mentioned there could be referring to that, to that scenario. What we do know from, from Scripture, though, is this. Can a Christian lead an unfruitful Christian life? Absolutely. Can a person forfeit their spiritual mature, maturity? Yes, they can. 
And there are examples of that in scripture. There's no doubt, both in the Old and the New Testament. So that is a scenario that's legitimate. Personally, I think that John chapter 15 and verse 6 would more apply to that scenario. Jesus says in John chapter 15 and verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and they cast them into the fire and they are burned. That may be closer to the scenario of Ananias and Sapphira or the man who is mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Or first, yeah, First Corinthians five. the The difference between John fifteen six and John fifteen two is the issue of abiding. Abiding is not mentioned in John chapter fifteen and verse two. It just says, "Any branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit." Abiding is not mentioned. There's another way to understand this verse that somebody explained to me years ago. I went to Israel with a man named Arnold Fruchtenbaum, who used to teach here at His Hill. I don't know if he does he, yeah. Uh, he was recommended to me by somebody, and right after college, I flew to Israel, met Arnold there with a group of other people, and for five weeks, I took a study tour of, of the Holy Land. And uh, it was a tremendous trip. And, you know, you traveled for six days out of the week, you'd go on site, you'd come back tired, have dinner, and then Arnold would give a couple of lectures in the evening. And there was a lot of reading to do before you even went on the trip. And one of the things that he showed us was this. We went to uh, a farm, and on this farm, uh, there, were, there were vines, but they didn't look like the ones that I see around our area in, in Friedrichshafen. We live in an area where they make a lot of wine and there are vineyards on the, on the hills facing south towards Switzerland. But this vine didn't look like that. It was probably about this high, about as high as the podium. And it looked more like a bush than, than, a, than a vine. And that intrigued me. But what he did is he kind of pulled back some of the, the branches and around the stem of this vine, there were rocks holding the stem up. And he said, the reason why that's the case is because sometimes, sometimes it's due to weather, sometimes it's due just to growth. That, that plant, and I hope I don't spill water, uh, it, it tips. And so what they do is they prop it up with stones and they lift it up so it's straight again so that the growth is not hindered. And then he took us to John 15, 2, and he said this, where it says in John 15, 2, and every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, there's an alternative translation to those two words, take away. And that's actually found as an example, there are more than one, but one would be in John chapter 11 and verse 41. Jesus is standing outside the grave of Lazarus. His sisters are standing out there with him. And then he prays to his father, and we read this in John chapter 11 and verse 41. It says, so they removed the stone, then Jesus raised his eyes, and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And he made note of the fact that when it says they removed the stone, 
And when it says Jesus raised his eyes, the word removed and raised are the same word in the original language, just translated different ways. And he pointed out the fact that it wouldn't have made sense to translate that verse this way, so they raised the stone and Jesus removed his eyes. They knew that was obvious, but they evidently weren't uh, acquainted with the, the, the care of uh, vines in the Holy Land about that time. And so they translated it a different way. That could very well be a scenario that would be appropriate to apply to John chapter 15 and verse 2. And it seems to me, because there's no mention of abiding or not abiding, that this would hold true. The issue of abiding is missing. And we know from the Old Testament, for instance, in Leviticus chapter 19, that a farmer does not harvest uh, from the vine for the first three years of growth. Uh, he does some pruning, but it's only in the fourth year that a farmer will harvest the growth. And then that fourth year, he'll take that first harvest and offer it as a thank offering to the Lord, and he will eat from the harvest in the fifth year. So that's a long time. So what they did is they allowed a vine to grow and get strong during this time. They would prune it, let it grow, get stronger. Prune it, get, let it grow, uh, let it grow, grow stronger. And it could very well be that that's what Jesus was referring to here. The vine dresser is allowing time for the vine and the branch to grow so that the branches in particular are strong enough to hold the fruit. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way. It's a burden to sin. But I don't know if you've ever thought about it. Blessing can be a burden too. Because blessing brings responsibility. Blessing brings people to care for. Blessing brings more matters to attend to. Blessing brings more trials to face in the, in the power of Christ. And there is a sense in which the Lord may need in your life and mine to allow for a period of growth so that we're able to bear the burden of blessing when it comes. And, and I like that in this verse personally. I'm going to leave that with you to consider yourself. But I do know out of experience that blessing can be a burden because it brings responsibility with it. It's, it's not just smooth sailing. Uh, there is a burden to carry. In fact, Paul mentioned this in his letters. He said, I carry the burden of the care of the church in my own soul. That's a burden to bear. And the Lord may have to take us through seasons of growth before he will entrust us with this. So if it doesn't seem like much is going on, uh, just for heaven's sakes, don't waste that time. There are legitimate times of growth when you and I are free from responsibility so that our relationship with the Lord might grow strong and he is preparing us for responsibility. So we need not miss that time. It's very important. Then Jesus said, any branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes it. 
Any branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes it that there might be more fruit. Now, each harvest always comes from firsthand growth. Uh, you always harvest from, from this year's growth, not last year's or the year before or the year before. And what this demands of you and me is that there are no vacations from abiding in Christ. It, it, is, it is a process that we continue to engage in in an ever deeper way. But harvest will come through this year's growth. The time that the pruning takes place is actually winter. And what happens in the winter time is that the sap goes out of the stalk of a vine, certainly out of the branches, and it retreats into the roots. And at that time, the branches become dry and brittle, and that's when you want to prune them. Gabby and I were given two vines on our wedding, and... Um, we're not good vine dressers, let's just put it that way. But it's in the fall and in the winter that they normally prune the vines. Winter is very important. And there are seasons in my life and yours where we may feel dry and brittle and unfruitful. And there are times in the winter times of our life in the Lord where the Lord may choose to take some things away from us. That's what he does when he prunes. Pruning is the removal of all that is not fruit. Pruning is the removal of all that is not fruit in my life and yours. My uh, parents, um, I grew up in Minnesota, and my parents didn't have a midlife crisis, they had a midlife adventure. And they sold the house that I grew up in in the suburbs of Minneapolis, brought, bought 40 acres out in, in the country. Now I don't consider it really the country. It's just the greater metro area. And they brought, bought uh, 40 acres and they started a hydroponic um, garden. I'm not talking about hydrophonics. That would be like listening to music underwater or things like that. It's hydroponics and actually you grow things in water and they were growing tomato plants. And they had three uh, greenhouses with 1,200 plants per house. That's 3,600 tomato plants. And every once in a while, if I was there, I would be called upon to prune the tomato plants. And so, it was my job to take these tomato plants that were, you know, 20, 30 feet long, and we would prune them of, of all the leaves, all the branches, except for, like for the top two feet of the plant, so that they would provide enough shade so that the tomatoes wouldn't suffer from sunburn. That's what I was told. Well, if you have 36 tomato plants in front of you, you ask a very important question. Why? <laughs> And I was simply told, Peter, we don't want the sap to just produce leaves. We want it to produce tomatoes. That's what we're interested in. And so at my house, we had tomato soup. We had tomato jam. We had tomato casserole. We had tomato uh, souffle. We had tomato juice. It was like the attack of the killer tomato. Just tomatoes. 
and they did well. But I remember pruning those tomato plants and taking everything away that would be a waste of the sap. The life of Christ within us is designated to the will and character of God for my life, and he will not waste it on other things. And so the Lord will come by in a season of winter and begin to remove some things from our lives that don't belong to, nor will he spend the resources on the life of Christ. And it's an important time. We don't talk about this very often, but it's real, and God engages in this work in our lives. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, and verses 11 and 12, Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 11 and 12, he disciplines us for our good so that we might share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. And yet those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Friend, if God is saying no to you right now and wants to take something from you, let him do that. It is for our good and it is going to be for the blessing of others and the glory of God. And I would let us in on a secret in God's ways with our lives. If God says no and he chooses to take something from me, that doesn't belong to the character of Christ and his good and acceptable and perfect will, it can only mean that he's got something better in mind. I think back to John chapter 11, when the sisters of Lazarus came to Jesus and they said to him, Lord, he whom you love is sick. And it specifically says in John chapter 11 and verse four, when Jesus heard this, he stayed two days longer where he was. What is that about? You would think if Jesus loved him, he would go immediately and heal him. He didn't. Jesus let a weak man die. And for all practical purposes, he took their brother away from them for a season. And then he comes towards the end of John chapter 11 and he stands before the grave of Lazarus and says, Lazarus, come forth. And a dead man walked out of the tomb. You see, they were convinced that Jesus could heal a sick man. They didn't know that he was able to raise a dead man. And the only way to raise a dead man is to let a man die to prove resurrection power. And so there they were after the resurrection of Lazarus and, and it says they were in their home in John chapter 12 and verse one and they were eating a meal and Lazarus was uh, you know, sitting at the table with them. And I don't know who spoke the prayer that evening before the meal, but they would have had reason to pray this way. Oh Lord, thank you that it, you didn't answer our prayer in the way that we wanted. You had something better in mind. Thank you. 
Again, there could be somebody here who's going through that season of winter when you're being pruned and God may be taking something away. Always remember, if he takes it away, it's because he's got something better in mind. He really does. And Charles spoke about, you know, his getting to know uh, Hillary and Gabby and I would say the same thing about our relationship. He, Charles was 31. I wasn't, I was 43 when I got married. People had, long, people had given up trying to, you know, help, if you will. <laughs> I have a book in my library, and it's t- entitled, How to Know Somebody's Worth Pursuing in Two Dates or Less. <laughs> I would give that away, but on the inside, it says, Dear Peter, we're giving this to you, not for you, but in case you might meet somebody who needs this book. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> And it wasn't easy for me. And I made mistakes. And I didn't like it when God said no. And I went back to Bodensdorf after I'd spent six years at Thetis Island at Cape and Ray Harbor. And um, I was responsible for a ski conference over New Year's in the Austrian Alps, bearing my cross for Jesus. And um, a lady called the office at Bodensdorf and wanted to know about the ski conference and the secretary put her through and I got on the line and she had so many questions. I just thought this woman is high maintenance. She wanted to know who was doing the Bible studies, how long they were, what the topic was, what we do on uh, you know, New Year's Eve, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I walked into that hut And a seven-year-old girl comes bounding down the stairs with long, curly black hair and way too much energy. And she stands in front of me and says, hi, I'm Katerina. And I have a brother, his name is Christian. They're up in the room along with my mom, but I don't have a dad because he died. And I didn't know how to respond. She was seven years old at that time and Her father had died two years before that of brain cancer at home. And I met her mother, and she gave her testimony on New Year's Eve, and I was immediately attracted to her. And so I thought it would be good for her and good for the conference, good for the kids, if she came to the conference the next year because she was a trained ski instructor. And so purely for ministry purposes, I asked her to come back and help with the conference. (laughs) And after two years, after two years, and we we never dated, after two years, you know, of spying, (laughs) I said, Lord, this would be wonderful. And the only thing I can tell you was that deep inside, there was a strong no. And that went against everything in my being. And it was hard. But if God says no, he has his reasons. And so between that year, which would have been around 2000 and 2003, some things happened both in Gabi's life and mine that were significant, that we look back on as preparation for coming together. And so in 2003, 
we came together and I didn't sense a no anymore. And my love for Gabby hadn't changed over those five years, although we really never dated, never corresponded. The kids invited me to their birthday parties. I didn't go because I didn't want to give them false hope. But most of all, I needed three green lights before I would ever speak to her personally about what I felt for her. Well, God is very faithful and through his word, through conviction in my heart, through my parents, through people who knew me best, he confirmed that. And so it was probably in July of 2003 that I asked Gabby to come down to the Bodense and see me for an official date. She um, had to distract the kids so that they wouldn't ask why she's going down to the Bodense. So she got a Mr. Bean video and some chips and a babysitter and that did it. And she came down and we had a nice meal together. And she would want me to be fair when I tell this, so I'll try. I, I said, you know, we could get married after Bible school ends in March. To which she said, I don't marry a man who doesn't ask me properly. I was thinking I'd like to do that over New Year's up in the hut where we got to know each other, but three months to prepare a wedding is a little bit short, so we got engaged in September. And the kids were at Bodenseehof. They were attending a, a camp, and I pulled them into my office. They thought they were, had done something horrible, and I sat down, and I said, I'm going to ask Mom to marry me tonight, but what do you think she'll say? Ah, oh, she'll say yes. We've been waiting for this. And then I said... Um, yeah, but what about you? Because it's about us, too. It's not just about me and mom, it's us. We'll become family. And they said, of course. Can we go, go tell our friends? I said, no, I gotta ask mom first. <laughs> so we went out for a nice meal and I asked her and she gave the right answer. And um, we, uh, we went to Egypt on our honeymoon. You shouldn't say that in Torchbearer school uh, circles, I know, but then we went to Tauernhof and skied for a week with the kids. And uh, Hans Peter Royer, who was one of my best friends, said, praise God, Peter got married. There's one less problem in Torchbearers. <laughs> Mark Thomas, and I'll talk about this tomorrow, was at our wedding reception, and he said, you know, there was a group of us watching you at the wedding uh, reception, you and the kids and Gabby, and we weren't sure if you were going to make it. <laughs> I said, thanks, Mark. <laughs> God was very gracious. And you see, it, it wasn't just about me. It was about a widow and a single mom. It was two kids who had lost their father. It was for a ministry called Bodenseehof and a ministry called Torchbearers. And when God gives answers, he gives complete answers, not partial ones. He does the best thing. So if he says no, he's got his reasons. And it most often means he's got something better in mind. And both Gabi and I would say that by experience. And so the Lord disciplines us. He prunes us. He takes some things away when it's necessary because he's not going to spend the life of his son on those things which are not in his good and acceptable and perfect will. What's his good and acceptable and perfect will for my life? 
Well, it's found in Romans chapter 8 and verses 28 and 29. For we know that God causes all things together to work together for good. To those, who are, to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And so we give that verse to all kinds of people in all kinds of situations, but forget what the purpose is. And the purpose is that he has predestined you to become conformed to the image of his son. That's the purpose to which all things work together for good. And God will use a time of pruning to make sure that that, ha- that happens. That is his great goal. That is his predestined goal for my life, that I become like Christ. And you know, it's, it's not necessarily what gets done, it's how it gets done that is often the greater testimony. And when somebody does something in the character of Jesus, people notice. This past staff conference in 2022, we were at Cape and Ray and we said goodbye to a number of people. And one of them was Greya at Cape and Ray Hall and Greya had been the housekeeper there for decades. She was a single gal, she had never married. And she just served with faithfulness and kindness and a friendliness that was remarkable. She would always leave us a note in our room. Glad to have you here. You need anything, here's my number. And I got her up on stage and we had a short interview and we just thanked her and the whole fellowship spontaneously rose to their feet and gave her a standing ovation. It wasn't necessarily the big thing that she had done because quite honestly, she had spent decades cleaning up other people's mess. But the way that she did it was Christ-like. And often that's gonna be the thing that's the greatest testimony. It says in Hebrews chapter 12 that this discipline seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. It is a wise counselor who does not comfort all sorrow. Let me read 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 8 through verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul referring to his first letter and what he had written, which was very direct and it was a reproof. And he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 8, for though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. There is a sorrow that should not be comforted. There is a time in the life of a child of God where they're going to have to walk through something hard and they're being disciplined by the Lord. 
and we must let God have his time with them because there is a sorrow that leads to repentance and they need to come to that point. That's part of God's pruning. That is part of his discipline. You see, when I am not abiding in Christ, when I'm rebelling against his presence, when I'm quenching the spirit and grieving him, and I live in conscious sin, there is nothing of the spirit in that. And it is exhausting and ultimately leads to self-destruction. And God doesn't want that. God doesn't want his name to be maligned and he wants something so much better for you and for me. So again, I emphasize, if the Lord is making us it clear to us today that he wants to take something because it doesn't belong to his good and acceptable and perfect will for our lives, let him take it. He has his reasons. And there will be a day in the future when you'll be able to look back and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Your will is so much better. Thank you. I don't know if you've ever thought about it in this way, but sometimes when the gardener prunes us, he's actually getting the closest possible to us. The gardener gets closer to the branch when he prunes it even more than when he harvests the fruit because he has to grab the branch and cut it. The gardener gets closest to the branch when he prunes it. It is out of his love that he prunes. And again, the goal of pruning is that the branch might bear more fruit. Again, Gabi and I, we live uh, in a key fruit growing area uh, in Germany, and there are a few Germans in the audience and they can confirm this. Sometimes you'll see a semi on the highway, in our case, the Autobahn, and it will say, Obst vom Bodensee on the side, fruit from the Bodensee. And every once in a while, a farmer has to rip out his apple, his pear, his cherry trees because they've gotten too big. And the bigger the tree, the smaller the fruit is. And then they plant new trees, smaller trees. And actually, when they plant these smaller trees, they have to, they have to take small ropes and hold up these tiny branches because the fruit gets so big that it tears the branch off. And again, I'm not a fruit farmer, but I've just noticed the bigger the tree, the smaller the fruit, but the smaller the tree, the bigger the fruit. Sometimes we're just too big for Jesus. And God has to do his work of pruning and make us small. And again, I go back to what I said this morning. We need to embrace those things that humble us. We need to embrace the trial. We need to embrace the things that cause us pain because if it reaches me, it first went by him. And it's there by his good and acceptable will. There's an interesting verse in Psalm 102 
Psalm 102 in verse 23. And it says this, he has weakened my strength in the way. Beware of your strengths. Beware of your strengths. I couldn't agree more with what Charles said, said this morning. Uh, Satan is not gonna necessarily tempt us uh, at our weak points, but at our strong points. Because the stronger you are in one area, in temperament, in giftedness, in experience, in title, whatever that may be, the stronger we are on one point, the more tempted we're gonna be to rely on me and not Jesus. And so sometimes part of God's pruning process is to weaken my strength in the way. And if he decides to do that, it can only mean that he wants the power of Christ to be known there. You'll never regret this in the end. And it could be a place of employment, could be a relationship, it could be a comfort, it could be finances, and the Lord wants to reduce something or even take it away. If he wants to, let him, because he has his reasons. And when we let him, and that thing goes, the work of the Spirit and the work of the indwelling Christ is going to increase all the more in our lives. Samuel Rutherford was a Scotsman who was persecuted for his, for his faith. And I have a book at home, and, and they're the letters of Samuel Rutherford. And he wrote them to people in his parishes uh, that he pastored, and he wrote to them from prison. And he said this, he said, God takes nothing from you, but that which he will supply with his own presence. Isn't that great? God will take nothing from you, but that which he will supply with his own presence. And God comes in with the presence of Christ and fills the gap. Every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes it that it might bear more fruit. So we need to take time to get strong and he needs to take time sometimes to take away some things that are getting away of the life of Christ. Well, that's where I want to end uh, this, morning, uh, this evening and tomorrow morning. What I'd like to look at is the fruit that will come about as we have learned how to abide in Christ. Let me pray as we close. Father, I want to thank you for the times that we can look back on and know that in your good and acceptable will, you took us something away or you prohibited us from doing something so that in the end we would know Christ in a deeper way and that we can boast in our weakness because when we are weak, then we're strong. And Lord, I pray where this word is needed tonight that you would cause your word to bear fruit in somebody's life and that they would be encouraged to trust you during these winter times. So I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.